Take your Bibles this morning and find your way to the end of Mark's gospel. We're going to be in the last chapter, uh, chapter 16 this morning. As I said, we're going through uh, Mark's gospel together. We're actually in chapter 2. Um, and I was telling Levi back there that last Sunday, we talked about Levi, the call of Matthew as the final disciple. Um, but this being historical Easter, uh, first fruits, which was the feast that, that uh, proclaimed the resurrection of Christ, I wanted to obviously do a resurrection sermon. Um, and today, I want to talk to you about a little phrase that captured my attention. And it's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. And if you're there, uh, follow along as I read with you this morning. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I bet they were. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And this is the verse that, that just captured my heart this week. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. So they went quickly and fled from the tomb where they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Interesting text. Um, I don't know, I feel like we file the resurrection of Christ in a fairy tale folder, but I want to assure you that is the most, one of the most attested facts in all of history is an empty tomb and a resurrected Christ. I assure you that the world was forever changed as a result of that. I like how J.R.R. Tolkien put it in his Tolkien way. He said this, The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. Yeah, I love Tolkien. One day everything sad will come untrue. That's why we sing songs like, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Right? Everything sad will become untrue. So let's look at Mark's account of that history, that history-altering Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but I, in other places, in, the, in other Gospels as well, we're going we're gonna to go into... Um, we're going to head into John 21 here in just a second as we follow Peter. 
But I think there are enough characters in the historical accounts of the resurrection for us to relate to. Don't you think? There's enough characters that everybody can fit and relate to one of those characters. For instance, some of you might be, and I hope you are, you might be like John, young John, the young apostle, young disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's the first one to get it. He believes. He doesn't even have to go in the tomb. He just stoops in there and looks. Yep, he's alive. He's just like, he is so quick to believe. He is a, he is a glass half full kind of guy. And he has such a tight relationship with Christ. He loves him so much. He wants it to be true. Don't you love those people? Unless you're not one of them, then they're frustrating to live with. <laughs> I'm married to one. And it's great. I love that my wife has a gift of faith. And sometimes I need her faith to keep going in the right direction. You might be here today and you might be like Mary. Um, you're just so overcome by sorrow that you can't see Jesus right in front of you. Right? And that's what we find out later with her. She comes back. And Jesus is right there. And she thinks he's the gardener. Because she's so distraught. Her heart is broken. Maybe you're here today and you, you, you're amongst the brokenhearted. Or maybe you're like Thomas. You're intellectual, scientific, logical. And you know a couple of things to be rock solid. And one of them is dead people, specifically crucified people, do not come back to life. That just, you, you pretty much take that one to the bank. And even, even though all of his buddies saw Christ and told him so, he basically, think about this, how uncomfortable this must have been. He basically called them all liars. And he said, well, good for you, but unless I put my finger in the nail holes and put my hand into his side, I'm not buying it. You know anybody like that? I do. Uh, but then there's Peter. Peter's, Peter's my guy. <laughs> um. Peter's motto is ready, fire, aim. Right? Every time he opens his mouth, he inserts his sandal, chews vigorously. I get, I get Peter. That guy makes sense to me. Uh, he, he's, he's the kind of guy that, you know, you pull out your sword, uh, and you're ready to take on the entire temple special forces But a few hours later, you run away from a teenage girl. That's me. Massively inconsistent. Very flawed. I'm so glad the Bible does not whitewash Peter. Because if the writers did, I'm afraid, I, don't, I would be afraid there would not be a place for me in this story, in this history. But thank God. Mark includes it. And he includes it accurately. 
I told you before as we started in Mark, you can't say this ironclad, but the end of 1 Peter 5, as Peter is ending with the typical greetings or conclusion notes of who is with him, he says, and Mark, my son, greet you. Um, when Paul talked about Timothy, he called him like, like a son in the faith. Peter doesn't do that. There's a good chance that John Mark, who wrote Mark, was actually Peter's boy. This is his dad's story. And that's why this little phrase makes sense to me. In, in verse number 7. The Bible says, but go tell his disciples. And if you got your own Bible, would you underline this? Matter of fact, you should circle it, do something. I got these cool highlighters that are, I guess they're almost like crayons and they don't bleed through. I'll color this one in. Go tell his disciples. And what are those two little words? And Peter. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. You know what resurrection means? Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Anybody glad for that today? Worst thing is never the last thing. We've had some funerals around here lately. We said goodbye to Jim. I may have had the title of pastor for the last 22 years, but Jim had the job. Hard saying goodbye to... We just, we, we just don't make men like Jim anymore, hardly. It's hard. But I know because of resurrection, the worst thing is not the last thing. I'm so glad about that. Anybody else glad about that today? Our dear friend, friends, plural, we went to Bible college with. Elizabeth grew up with the young lady. Um, I spent the years in the dorm with Brian. He was about five years older than us, and we all needed it. He had, he had done his stint in the military, and he was in charge of us crazy young men in Bible college. His name was Brian. And surrounded by his 13 children last night, he breathed his last. Faithful, faithful, Jesus-loving man of God. Five kids still at home, four of them a sibling group that nobody would touch in the foster system, so they adopted them. That's Brian and Diana, and she's a widow. I'm glad that resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's going to take Peter a while to come around. But please hear this. He can't stay away. Did you get that? It's going to take him a while to come around, but he cannot stay away. And I think that's the word for today. Maybe that's you. All right? Things aren't great in your walk with Christ. You've done some stupid things and... You're not even sure how he feels about you. That's Peter. He was eaten up with guilt. 
self-judgment. I think not a little bit of self-pity in there. So let's take a look at this flawed fisherman as he fights his feelings all the way to an upside-down cross this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is God's inclusion in verse 7. That's the first fill in there, God's inclusion. Go to, he tells Mary, a, a, a frightened Mary, no less, these women, <coughs> go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, we can, we can read a lot into that, and we might be right, we might not be right. But I think, as the old Bible college prof told us in hermeneutics, he said, if the plain sense makes the most sense, seek no other sense. You know what the plain sense of that is, and Peter. Why would, why would this angel, with a message from the risen king, tell this angel to say, be sure to include Peter in that? Why, why do you think? Peter didn't it. Yeah, he, he said, I'm out. Because if they would have come back and just said, got a message for the disciples, Peter would not have put himself in that category because of his failure. And it was a big one. He denied his Lord. But his Lord demonstrates Peter's forgiveness and his eventual restoration. God includes him. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And the instructions are specific. Go home. Now they're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in Judea, the southern province of Palestine. And Jesus is basically telling them, you guys walk to 65 miles, 70 miles back north to Capernaum. Go home. I'll meet you there. And he wants to make sure Peter gets that message. Peter, I'm talking to you too. And I want to tell you today, you might be walking away from the Lord. You might be just like Peter this morning. Say, I've, 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 I have exhausted the grace of God with my foolish choices. I'm surely not a part of that anymore. And Jesus says to you today through his resurrection, go tell my disciples and insert your name. Amen? Listen to me. You cannot out the grace of God. And sometimes I wish we'd quit trying to. Amen? But Peter, just like me, that's why I love this guy. He's confused. So flip over to John 21. I want to show you Peter's confusion. And boy, is he confused. <coughs> he's crushed is what he is. He, he's, he's come to the end of himself. And Peter was all he ever had. Peter got by on his wits, his cunning, his ability to usually think faster than the people around him. I imagine he'd have made a great salesman. Um, all of that was gone. Peter, didn't have, Peter couldn't figure it out no more. Peter was a mess. So they're back in hometown, Capernaum, northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. They're up there waiting. Waiting's hard, isn't it? Waiting's hard. And so look what Peter says in verse 1. After these things, uh, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's also Galilee, uh, Sea of Galilee. In this way, he showed himself. Then he lists the guys that are up there. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana, that's interesting, in Galilee. What happened in Cana? Water to wine, first miracle, right? The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, two others of his disciples were together. 
And Simon Peter said to them, are you there? What's he, what does he say? I got an idea. I'm going fishing. I hear that a lot in my house when my oldest son comes over. And he's not coming to see me. He's coming to find his younger brother, Ben. And I hear, we're going fishing. These guys love to fish. I was the same way uh, growing up. Not that kind of fishing. This was commercial fishing. Um, so this is interesting. The Bible is going to tell us in a minute that they've already seen Jesus twice. They've seen Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus and the rest of them two times. Now, he, they're just obeying. They go back home uh, to Galilee, um, and Jesus has showed up, and now what? I don't know. Let's go do what we know. And Peter says, I know fishing. Let's go fishing. Um, and so there they are, out for a night of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to tell you something about that. Peter can't stand to live with himself. He is under conviction, I think. It's not the right kind yet, but it's going to get there. And here's what I know about people under conviction. Listen, they have to be busy. They have got to be doing something, and here's why. Because they are terrified of silence. Because in the silence, their self-condemning thoughts come to the surface, and they can't live with that. Ask me how I know. Ask me how I know. You know, too. So Peter's got to do something. And so we're going fishing. And so they do all night long. They fish all night. The Bible says they went out in the boat. They went out, and immediately there's his word. Or they said, we're going with you also to the others. Peter was still the leader, even though he had blown it. They all followed him. You going fishing? We'll go. Need a crew? We'll throw some nets. Got nothing better to do. We don't know what we're doing. <coughs> Look at the next verse. And they went out and immediately got in a boat, and that night they caught... Now, I say Peter was a good fisherman. The only the two times that we see him, he's caught nothing, so I don't know. Uh, maybe that's an assumption. He had a really big house in Capernaum, uh, so he had to have some money somewhere. But the two times that his fishing is mentioned, he catches nothing, right? Verse 4, but when the morning had now, did not know that it was Jesus. It was enough of a distance. They, you know, somebody was on the shore. And Jesus said to their children, he sees someone who's older, have you any food? And you'll find some. So they catch. Does this sound familiar to anybody? But when you're, look at when you're in the middle of it, and I mean, that's it. By the way, ladies, your husbands can read, and thank God we are. And I'm so glad that my wife, she can have all these doors open in her time. We don't, we don't open doors, right? One thing, and there, there and then all of a sudden, I can, picture, I can see this. They're all grabbing nets. I mean, the, the boat. And I, and I imagine Peter's like, John, what in the world, man? Get a hold of it. And John says, John's the first one to figure it out. Remember, he's easy to believe. Interesting. He said, it's the Lord, verse 7. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and plunged into the sea, but the other dragging the net with fish. 
go ahead and do those next two. Uh, I had God's inclusion. I had Peter's confusion. And then number three is Jesus' question, did you catch anything? John comes to his senses that it's Jesus. And then the last part of this, for him. Peter, it's nothing, like I said, ready, fire, aim. And he dives into the sea and swims it to shore. Like he's not even waiting to just have a little bit of groceries for the next day. No. Got it. He don't care. He just chucks it all. I don't care if we lose all. Peter was the one who walked on water and said that Jesus bid me to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. He just goes. And he doesn't walk on the water. He swims it to shore. Well, verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw and fish laid on it and bread. The first thing I saw in there was that rash action. Of, here's why. Was around a fire and locked eyes with Jesus. They're doing crowing at 3 a.m. That's what time it was. A girl got up and said, yeah, you absolutely are Galilean. You're one of them. Peter stands up and cur he turns to leave. And the Bible tells us in Luke's account that as he does to Caiaphas's house, because there are two high priests that the high priest has to give the stamp of approval. So they're just taking Jesus from one side of the compound to the other, right? He turns to run, and he literally is standing. The Bible says that immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him. And then the Bible has, Luke has this account. And Peter went out and wept. That's the last time Peter locked eyes with Jesus. Really. Rubbing the water out of his eyes. That's what he remembered. Does you not think that's what Jesus did that for? Jesus. No, it's not. It is a kindness. It is a kindness because Peter, before he can see it owned by Jesus on that cross. That was Peter's problem. He would do it. Let's bring it up. Here you go. Here's the coals. Look at me. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go to Galilee. He knew, but he can't. He can't do it. He left it all and followed Jesus. And he thinks, okay, I'm done. And yet, round two. Connecting these dots. And yet he gets out of the water and he sees coals on a fire. And he died because Jesus knew that was Peter's problem. That was what forgiven Peter for that. Here was the problem. Peter hadn't forgiven Peter for that. Also notice that this is so random. Not Chick-fil-A. They had fish filet. Galilean fish filet right there. Message to Peter too. I don't need you to torture. But then we Simon, son of Jonah. Because that's where Peter was going back to. Simon's, you love me more than who you used to be? In the life that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. Now there are different. I love you like a brother. And he says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? You know I do, right? Now he's a Simon's own word. I'm going to take it down a notch. Love me. And he said to him, Lord, Lord. It's the truth sometimes, don't it? And when he gets there, he has nothing to say because he's 
remembers the last time and he's just eat up in the nose. That type of pain can reproduce. It's a miracle to me that there are such a thing as porcupine. That thing, those quills are going deeper and deeper into your flesh. So stop it. Don't, don't let Satan use good theology to tell you what it is. It's your pride. Because you think these Sunday school rooms, when there used to be rooms down there, and I don't know how it happened, but there was a test. So I'm, I'm going to get it out. And I mean, I... I had no idea that kid could fight like that. Understand that if I don't get this tack out of your foot, it could become infected and you can die. You just want to be left alone. And as some of you today, three affirmations for three denials. Don't. Because Jesus throws some hard truth at him. Remember what I'm telling you. Listen to me. Jesus ain't. When you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, you will stretch out. By what death he would glorify God. Oh, and don't miss it. It's exact same words, even the same grammar that Jesus used when he called him for the rest of your life. And it's going to lead you to an up. He died upside down. He, he requested to be crucified. He his finger at John and said, well, what about him? How's he dying? Right? Ribs and pulled pork with the Gentiles, but then when the Jewish brethren come from from, and listen, he fails forward all the way to an upside-down cross. That great Chinese evangelist in the 60s. And 60s. Our old, but he's restored, humble, falling forward, failing forward. Peter, and I am him. My best friend. He'll be with Jesus by the end of today. Had a stroke, massive stroke yesterday. You want to? Be today. Would you stand with me? What are you waiting for? I don't know who you relate to. I told you for me, it's Peter. It's a great way to say, to be restored. It's a great day. Behold, now is the time. And I want to encourage you to do exactly that. I want you to pray. I love praying at this old-fashioned kneeling bench. I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you've never realized that you got a sin problem and rose again so you could be set right with God. You just need to come to pray. And as I do, as God is speaking to your heart, if you want to come forward and, and join me here, but pray, would you join me? Father, we come to you thanking you for those two that to be included. It's only included in Mark's account. But oh, I'm the rest of the embarrassing parts of Peter's story, even post-resurrection, even post-assolations. But he fails forward to a glorious people. I pray right now you would draw by your spirit those who need to come to you this morning, and they would come right now. You know that we love you. You would do that for the glory of your name. Amen.